podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. Manchester United's pre-season tour gets underway with a match against Liverpool and Bangkok. I'm your host, Dale O'Donnell, and I'm happy to be joined by Sean Connolly to discuss the start of the 2022 tour. Sean, since we last spoke, how are you? How are you keeping? Um, are you bewildered now by the, the constant speculation surrounding our club? I'm doing good. No complaints on this end. And I'm just looking forward to the transfer window being closed. <laughs> Fed up of reading all the speculation and the reports about so many different players on a daily basis. But no, all good. All good. It's, it's, it's good that they're back open training and um, at least some portion of football is nearly on our doorstep again. Yeah, exactly. You know, for me as well, covering the club every single day, the transfer stuff is is, is tiresome to say the least. But this yeah. return of of I suppose it's kind of our festive football of the summer because there was no World Cup, and I am looking forward to to watching ninety minutes of of actual sport football. And no, we got that in the past few days with the the European Championships and the women's game, which I've been been enjoying actually, and it's been it's been it's been good to watch some football over the summer. Um, of course, Sean, this will be the first time Liverpool and United have met in a pre-season game since 2018. That was when the pair faced off in front of 100,000 fans in Michigan. I think that was a record attendance at the time for a, for a pre-season game. Um, unfortunately, Liverpool won that match 4-1, so we won't go into too much detail about it. But, but Sean, to, to get the ball rolling about the upcoming game, and that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast. In facing Liverpool, it's weird to kind of put the 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 kind of bracket over that it's a friendly match. Um, this is also Eric Ten Hag's first match in charge of the team. Do you think that when he speaks to the players between now and kickoff, that it'll be that this is a friendly, or do you think he'll be fully aware of the fact of the fact that this is facing our arch rivals in Liverpool and a team that also has been quite some distance away from us for some time? I think there could very well be elements of both. I mean, on one side of it, you have constantly under the microscope and it's his very first outing as a manager, regardless of it being a, a pre-season friendly or not. He'll want, I suppose, to prove a point, even though there's only been a couple of days of preparation with a bunch of players that are only going back into pre-season. They can already buy into his philosophy and what it is that he's trying to achieve. Now, I suppose on the other end of it, you have to be realistic about these things. It's a pre-season friendly on the other side of the world. They've only travelled over in the last two to three days. They're going to be tired. The climate over there is supposed to be grueling at the moment. It's supposed to be ridiculously humid, very, very hot. And um, that's going to affect the players. You know, there's going to be a lot of water breaks. There's going to be a lot of necessity for rehydration. It's, it's United and Liverpool. And ultimately, one of the biggest things that's going to come into this is there is thousands and thousands of fans on that side of the world that don't get the opportunity to go to Old Trafford. They don't get the opportunity to go to Manchester and see the team. So they, for a lot of them, well, maybe the one and only time like. that they get... Yeah, precisely. And, and, like, and I mean, that's, that's not a snipe little comment. That's just the geography and the location of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I suppose the financial constraints that are going to come across somebody having to get a flight from that side of the world for a weekend to watch a football game. It's, 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 a lot, it's an awful lot to yeah. ask. Very similar to, to fans that are in Oceania and Asia, you know? It's just, it's difficult. So when you get a situation where you have the ability to be able to see your team in the flesh, for those fans, they're, they're going to be totally G'd up. They might have a few drinks before the game, get into the ground. Do you know, it means everything to them. And even though it's a pre-season friendly, when the fans are there and the players hear the fans getting behind them so much, 
it's going to be a little bit more than a friendly, I think. I think you put you touch on an important aspect of this pre-season tour because it's about two or three years since the club have been able to embark on a, a proper pre-season tour by travelling across the mm. globe and 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 meeting connecting with with these fans we're talking about. And I think for a lot of these players on the back of the season we've suffered with such disappointment, they needed a bit of a wake up call to to see how big of a club Manchester United is and talking precisely about even the likes of Harry Maguire that's been at the club for so long and probably hasn't really experienced it's not since he's been a captain he hasn't seen the, the full magnitude of how big Manchester United are on a global scale I think these kind of tours are really really beneficial for some of these players and in getting with, with the new regime under Eric Ten Hag who will be wanting this to be a fresh start I think this pre-season tour can be really positive for, for those players that are that are there um, and again stretching this on a little bit to Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho who will now have a full pre-season tour under their belt together and I think that Eric Ten Hag in his bid to get the best out of these players who underperformed for the past 12 months, not not talking about Sancho but, but Rashford who immensely underperformed in the, in the past 12 months I think it's a really good opportunity that next season They'll be given a fresh start and we could see them back at their best. Sticking to the game at hand, Sean, um, how far going into this new season are we behind Liverpool? It, it, it's, it's like a reoccurring question or a discussion that, that fans are having because we are some way behind. They were involved in a title race last season. Not only that, they got to the Champions League final and lost. Um, but, but still, we're some way behind them. In my opinion, how far do you think we are looking at the transfer business? Do you think we need, we are where we need to be? Oh God, no, no, obviously not. I mean, we've we've just seen a campaign finish where we ended up on fifty eight points. I mean, there was a point between Liverpool and City. Liverpool finished on ninety two points. They lost two games, finished on ninety two points. We lost twelve, and we finished on fifty eight. That alone, when you don't even take into consideration what's happened in the summer, shows how far behind we are. I mean, to put it in complete perspective, we're 34 points behind them. You know, 34 points is a huge, huge gap to close. And we're in a situation now where there's a brand new manager with a brand new philosophy. We've seen an exodus of players that did need to leave the club leave. And, and I'm very pleased with that. I think a lot of people will look at it and see that there's five, six, seven players leaving the club. There's been one player come back in. After happening is that there's a huge proportion of those players that have left our central midfield players. Now, central midfield is obviously somewhere that we've needed to assess and evaluate for quite some time. So we'd be seeing five or six midfield players come into the club, not five or six midfield players walk out of the club and not have any sort of response. But ultimately, it's like I've said on previous podcasts, I think it's going to be a situation where there'll be a domino effect in terms of transfers. The club are quite clearly working on the acquisition of various different players. And I feel like when one occurs, you're going to see a domino effect where there's going to be one, two, three players come into the club, most inept individual that's handling any sort of transfers or any sort of strategy for the club will realize that if you're lacking in midfield and if you lose four or five, six midfield players and you don't add more hole in this, your side that's going to need to be fixed. So I suppose realistically, we're 34 points behind, as I said. And when you're looking at Eric Ten Hag, one of the largest parts of what he needs to do as a, as a manager is how he can, and it's, it's what you touched on with Rashford as well. 
he's a manager who likes to get his his fullbacks and his wingers really really brought into the game and a key part of what it is that he does implement that is by utilizing his central midfielders and his combination play is what he does it's a simple simple style where he works through rondos and technical passes and he wants his central midfielders roles in a combination to play the the ball out wide to the fullbacks and to the wingers and it will constantly involve third man runs now as you stands right now we ha- obviously are lacking X amount of players coming to the club. We're lacking 34 points behind there. But ultimately, I feel like the club will realise this and the club will evaluate this and we will see a number of players coming to the club. And they might even come up at the end of part of the pre-season. They might join up with the squad toward the end of the tour. We do have an update from when we started recording on Frankie de Jong. We'll keep that to the end which I'm not sure if you've seen yet, Sean, but it's just broke so after we, we, we started recording, but I'll get to that shortly. Um, speaking of new signings, Liverpool have made three. Um, and this kind of goes back to, to how we think they've prepared for the new season. You know, they've added Darwin Nunes, Fab, Fab, Fabio Cavallo and Calvin Ramsey, um, two young players and uh, or three young players and one striker that has come for a, a massive transfer fee. I think a lot of money they've paid for, for Darwin Nunes. But how do, how does that say how they've prepared? You mentioned how many points clear they were of us last season, but they've added three new signings to, to, to Jorgen Klopp's squad. Are we again, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, still showing signs that we have catching up to do with the likes of Liverpool? Yeah, I think at this time it would appear to be that way. I mean, the fans were expecting, obviously, as I touched on there, they were expecting a reaction, weren't they? There was, there was hope that at this point of the pre-season when we have started our tour playing Liverpool tomorrow, that maybe there would have been two, three, four players that would have, would have been on the plane with the squad travelling over for this game. And then when you don't see that happening, it adds to the fear and the worry that it's exactly the same situation as it was 12 months ago. There's inept people that do not care about the club and aren't aren't interested in, obviously, seeing the club compete for major trophies by being realistic in the transfer market and bringing in players. But I do think, as I said a moment ago, not to to, to backtrack on what I said, I do think that there is a number of cogs moving here. And when one of them is complete, I think you're going to see a domino effect. So it's it's, it's hard when you're looking at Liverpool and, and how many points we finished off them last season. And they have brought in three players to their squad. But it's also important to realise they've also lost a very, very key member of their squad. And it's been a key member of that successful squad that they've had over the last few years. Obviously, they have very talented players coming in, but they've lost a key player of that squad as well. So it remains to be seen how much that's going to affect them too. Mm, Absolutely. That's a good point you raised on there with Sadio Mane. And of course, they obviously tied down Mohamed Salah to, to a new contract to make him the highest paid player in the Premier League. And looking at that deal... Just to comment quickly on, I actually think it was a good bit of business in Liverpool. They did lose Mane, but they tied down Salah for arguably the best few years of his of his career. And in doing so, if they they lost them on a free next season, to go and replace someone like Mane is going to you're going to pay sixty to eighty million anyway. And there's there's probably not that many players out there they can think of. So, I think for, for, as a result of some good business down the years, not only building a successful team. But being shrewd off the pitch, they they've been able to kind of stretch that wage structure that they have because Liverpool haven't got the same amount of money as Manchester United to spend on wages and that 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 money's not available, so they had to free that up to get Salah. But 
they've um I, I, I think they they've done a lot of things down the years, although I don't like saying it, that we can take some examples from. Um and getting the right people in place to make key decisions. But but moving on to something that more 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 along our lines and the beginning of the era for, for Eric Ten Hag, Sean. Um, what can we just to get the ball rolling? Kind of a less serious question, but what can we re- really ask for in our this first game against Liverpool from the players? You know, because it is the first game back. They've just travelled across the world. Um, you can't really expect them to go out guns a blazing and hammering a team far superior than them. Well, I think you you'll see a lot of the young players tomorrow, and that's the thing that if you are any sort of a purist in this, you you have to look forward to the most because. Anyone who knows me knows I've been an advocate for the U to get a, you know. So there's a lot of young players after making that trip. It'll be interesting to see how the likes of Ethan Laird, how Zidane Iqbal or Hannibal or even down like to Ahmad. I mean, you know Palestri looks like he's going to be going back out and loan again. But there's a lot of young players there, particularly Mr. Jimmy Garner, who, you know, I'm quite fond of. I would think you're going to see a lot of players there, maybe get 45 minutes tomorrow, some of them 60 if lucky you're going to see a very young side trying to implement a new philosophy. You know what I think you might see? You might see something very similar to the side's first game under Crystal Palace under Ralph Raniak, where there's a bunch of players wanting to impress the manager and trying to, to take this new philosophy immediately. Obviously, we had, what, about 30 minutes of gig and press with, Frank, with uh, uh, Ralph Raniak under Crystal Palace. So. I just asked you about the beginning of the era with Ten, ha- with ten Hag. And you've not even gone two minutes into your answer, and you give me a Ragnik response. You know, I hope it doesn't. Go, <laughs> I hope it does not go the same way as that now. But yeah, yeah, I, hundred percent. You get the idea yeah. where I'm coming from. Yeah. With new philosophies, new ideas, players wanting to impress. But I think the main thing that you're going to see is it's going to be a very, very young side. And like even with Cyril Malassia, he's young, but he's also completely completely green in the context of playing for Manchester United. So I think you're going to see uh, an adventurous display against this Liverpool side. As I said, I think the fans are going to have a huge part with it. It's going to be a, a young side that want to prove their point and want to make an impression. So I think it'll be all guns blazing. You could end up with something like 5-4 tomorrow. <laughs> Possibly. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's not too... We're not too focused on, say, the, the outcome of the game in terms of result. It's more so for me about whoever gets on the pitch, gets on the pitch and escapes without any niggles or injuries. Those minutes are vital, especially at the beginning of the pre-season tour, to help get these players to the, the fitness levels that they need before the competitive games begin. Um, and to do so with any injuries getting in the way can make it very, very difficult. And we don't want to be starting the season with players missing um, for the first few games. We definitely don't need that. So, look, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. There's not really much we can say about it, what we can expect, but we'll, I suppose we'll have a, a better inkling of how Ten Hag wants his team to set up in games and maybe approach games, and we might see some big differences from last season, I hope. Um, going back to, to Ten Hag, Sean, we... I sent you a few text messages today and we spoke briefly about his his demeanour and the way he carried himself in the press conference in Bangkok earlier this morning. Um, he, he answered a array, of, a array of questions, some about Cristiano Ronaldo's future, which we'll, we'll touch on, and as well as that, he, that Harry Maguire will remain captain for the upcoming season. On that, what did you make of the whole decision with, with 
with Harry Maguire. Why do you think Ten Hag has quickly come out and kind of shut down any claims that there'll be a change in captaincy? I think there's possibly two reasons. One of the, the main reasons is it's very difficult to put your hand in a pot and pick out an alternative. Uh, I think it's something we discussed about previously. There's, there's not many players that jump out and you know, scream that, yeah, I'm captain material, I'm the captain of this club for the next three to four years. I think secondary, he needs to be able to galvanise the side without completely shaking up everything. There's one thing that people forget when they speak about our dressing room. The talk is always about the Portuguese-speaking players and uh, the cliques that are created there. People don't ever talk about the cliques on the other side. You know, if there's a clique on one side where you have Portuguese-speaking players having a bit of camaraderie between themselves and disregarding everybody else inside in the dressing room, there's an awful lot of English-speaking players inside in the dressing room that probably have their own clique as well. Mm. And Harry Maguire could very well be a linchpin. And if you come in and you, you, you ruffle his feathers and if, if he gets disgruntled, you don't know how many players are going to follow suit with that as well. You have to read the room. You from, do. From, yeah. from Ten Hag's perspective, you can't come in and, and like throw Everton around the place and say this all has to change. He needs to be very careful about this. And I think we've looked, we've seen some good managers come and go. And we've seen some of those managers make some big mistakes in these situations of how they've, how they've handled um, the exits of players. I'll go back to one player I think that one manager dealt with very, very well. And how he kind of manoeuvred his his transition out of the club was Jose Mourinho and Wayne Rooney. If you remember previously, Eric Ten Hag seemed to be just throwing him into the team, um, shoehorning him into positions, and it wasn't really quite working out. Although I'd be crying out for a player in my midfield like that today, but but on a serious note, it, it wasn't working out with with Van Gaal, and I think Rooney became a difficult player for the manager to to push out of the team. Mourinho did so in such a way that he got away with it, Mourinho, and kept his respect. Um, and and that that wasn't a difficult, difficult. That wasn't an easy task to do. So Ten Hag would have to come in and really see over the coming weeks who are the strong members of the dressing room. And I, and I assume just two weeks in, Sean, he still doesn't know. You know, it, it's going to depend on when these play when he sees these players clash, how they react to that, how they react to him telling them off. You know, he's, after two weeks, I doubt there's many players he's had massive clashes with. It's the first two weeks, it's honeymoon period. Oh, no. You know, he doesn't know these no, guys. No. Yeah, and I think, yeah, he'll get to know them more over the tour. I think he'll get to know them more because you'll see them mixing together. But there's still a lot to come from this group. Um, but more importantly, Sean, is the, the Cristiano Ronaldo exit claims. Now, if we were supposed to do a podcast on this last week and we had we had some things get in the way of that but if we had done the podcast last week can i ask you quickly do you think we would have different perspectives on on cristiano ronaldo than a week on no no i mean look no. if you could learn anything from from the press conference today it's that eric ten Hag doesn't like talking to journalists and he will give journalists what he wants to give the journalists. He's not going to give them anything more than they need. And I like that. You and I are both journalists. We should have to work for it. You know, we shouldn't just be, we shouldn't just be handed this stuff. We should have to work for it. But when it comes down to Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, Ronaldo spoke, or Ten Hag spoke today, and he said very clearly, I've spoken with him. I've had a good conversation with him. Toward the end and after about the seventh or eighth time that he was probed on Ronaldo, he's, he, I believe, um, I'm not sure, I think it was someone from the Daily Mail asked him, did you speak with him 
after the news broke about him wanting to leave? And he said, no, no, I haven't. But he said, I've only read this. No one has told me this, you know. And, and he's looking at it in the, in the best way that he can, that I'm just not going to say anything about this. He'll know if Ronaldo wants to leave. And if Ronaldo wants to leave, then Ronaldo wants to leave. And, and Ronaldo is no different to any other player. This isn't 27-year-old Ronaldo we're dealing with anymore. This is 37-year-old Ronaldo, who was still a petulant, petulant little boy. Mm-hmm. And realistically speaking, if he wants to go and he wants to pursue Champions League football, and he can find a serious European club that's in the Champions League that wants to take him on at his age with his mannerisms and his petulant behaviour, with his wages, then I'll be them power to them. But ultimately, if I had to roll a dice on it now, or if I had to lay my cards on the table about how I thought this was going to finish, I'd be very surprised if you don't see Cristiano Ronaldo at United next year trying to play a song that he is loyal to the fans quite simply because he couldn't get another club to pay his wages. Okay, on that, so, so my, my take of this whole Cristiano Ronaldo um, saga, which it has definitely become, is it, it initiated a few weeks ago, and I remember texting you about the Ronaldo's announcement with um, Binance, um, the NFT company that were going to sell in his NFTs over the case of the next year, over a series. And this money-making scheme that he's going to profit from massively. Now, that showed up to me as a red flag. A bit of a a nothing red flag. But United have a big deal in place with Tezos. You'll see them on our our shirt this season. That's like their leading finance company. Now, with with, with Binance, they're their leading competitor. This was Ronaldo... As sources said to me, a sign from Mendes, a middle finger gesture from Mendes to Manchester United. I'm almost a sign that, yeah, I'm going to take my biggest client out of this club. And it was leaked over a number of weeks this summer. Some sources were coming to me saying where it was coming from and so on. That Mendes was doing all he could to get Cristiano Ronaldo out of Manchester United, that he was constantly in Ronaldo's ear to tell him that the club was a shambles, that he needed to get out of there. And this is what Ronaldo was being told. Now, Ronaldo, in the past few weeks, has not showed up to training. That has then made this media storm. I think Mendes is only delightful about it because it builds up speculation. And what you can gather from the talks Mendes has had is he went to Bayern Munich, proposed Ronaldo. They weren't interested. He went to Chelsea, proposed Ronaldo. They weren't interested. Because 37-year-old Ronaldo is not the same attractive asset as he was maybe two, maybe three, maybe four years ago. Wake up call to Mendes. Now, what Ronaldo has not done, he has not come out publicly stating I want to leave Manchester United. At the same time, since all this has happened, he has not come out saying, I want this day. These are all clear signs. But what I think has happened is they're waiting to see will anyone show the proposal. They are now quickly waking up to the fact that that proposal will not come in, that they want to stay in the Champions League. That Ronaldo was 37. And really, Sean, what I'm getting to is when he signed that contract, that big deal with Manchester United t- 12 months ago, surely Mendes knew at the back of his mind, this is our last big deal. Last big serious deal. 
There won't be another one like this. There's just not. There's not going to be. So Mendes played a nightmare here by coming out, making this public, trying to get his client out of the club because it won't happen, I don't think. I think you're right. I think Ronaldo will be at Manchester United next season. I don't think the offer will come in to, to take him out that he's, that he's maybe waiting for. But at the same time, he has carefully played this that he feels, apparently, that some of the stories have been exaggerated about his wishes to leave the club. Well, I mean, I think when all is said and done with this, I mean, it's what I've said and it's what you've just touched on. I think he's not going to be able to find a suitor for him. Mm. And that's ultimately, ultimately what it falls down to, isn't it? That's, that's what it's going to come down to. And, and ultimately with it then as well, there's two things I want to touch on. For starters, you made reference to Mendes saying that this will be your, your last big move. So No, 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 no. that was my opinion, sorry, on the matter. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying that I'm, surely this was his last move. No, no, I get that. But the, but the point I'm making is surely then if that's the situation where the thought process is this is the last big move, yeah? then surely there has to be some sort of communication and some dialogue between agent and player that will get you the big move, you have the big money. But there has to be some sort of an inclination in the background that, look, this Manchester United side are not the same Manchester United side they played with previously. This is a side that haven't realistically competed for the league title in the next amount of years. It's a side that have predominantly had their best runs in European second tier of football. Yeah. And there may very well be a possibility that you don't get league football out of this so ultimately I don't really I don't appreciate as a fan the way that it's gone around because like for me I think six weeks before last season finished six seven weeks before last season finished it's quite clear that we were probably not going to get Champions League football at that stage we were doing our very best to even throw away European football let alone Champions League football so for it to then drag on as long as it has and wait for a week before we're going on pre-season tour to drop this it just, it, it stinks. It's, it's the exact sort of toxicity that you and I have been talking about for three years as to what we need to rid the club of. Yeah. And ultimately now we're going to be left in a situation where we have a player that I've, I've got several reports, okay? And I have been told from someone with very good credence that Cristiano Ronaldo caused such issue last year on half a dozen occasions. And look, I won't nail my, 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 my name to the mast on this, but that he caused such issue on at least half a dozen occasions about not just being passed a football. There was even times and periods whereby players ended up avoiding him with a football and we still got a goal out of it and he still threw a strap because he wasn't passed the football. Right. So you have this situation now inside the dressing room where not only do you have the petulance, but you have this toxicity and this aggression inside the dressing room because he's not the focal point of every single attack. And we're going to have this here next season because nobody else is going to take him on board. And it's just going to be problematic for us. I really think so. I think it's something that we didn't touch on enough last season because it was definitely it was definitely being reported that this was happening. I think mm -hmm. we were perhaps maybe a little drunk on some of the goals we were scoring because ultimately, I think it would have been a thought over the summer. Um it was just glorifying more mediocrity, not on Ronaldo's sole behalf, but if it if it, if those kind of efforts can contribute to the overall team and making the overall team tick, well then it's it's not worth it in the end. Ultimately, your team has. There's to one work. simple thing. 
there's one simple thing that you can look at, okay? And, and it's something that I got incredibly tired of hearing this season, that Ronaldo saved us. Where would we be without Ronaldo? We'd be nowhere without Ronaldo. Ronaldo's goals, blah, blah. We scored more goals as a team the previous season before he was here. Hmm. There's at least half a dozen players that scored less and produced less output and productivity in terms of goal contributions than when they did when Ronaldo came. Yeah, that's and, massive. And, 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 and look, I, I was part, and I have no problem saying this now because ultimately I feel somewhat vindicated and it's not been smug, but I've been saying this since the start of the season that I felt him coming to the club was going to be a detriment to the rest of the squad and a lot of the players in the team because ultimately every single fulcrum of attack had to go through him. I've been saying it to you and I've been saying it to everybody else and I feel like people are now starting to realise that oh, th- th- this might actually be a little bit of an issue. Like, and, and it is more than a little bit of an issue because the team is suffering as a result of him being there. When it came out that he wanted to leave, I was quite happy. I was a bit, I was a bit angry in, in, in how he waited and the length of time he waited to Absolutely. do it because it's not in a situation where it's, it's helping the team and helping the new manager, particularly after he said a week before that, oh, uh, we need now to galvanise, we need to come together for the new manager, and then a week later, I want to go. You know, and it, it's 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 really a back. That doesn't add up, but doesn't it? Though? Realistically, when I, I think, no, I, no, I, 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 I think that's what I'm getting to when I say that I think some of what's been reported has been exaggerated in the sense that I think a lot of this has been pushed on Ronaldo, um, fr- fr- from key figures in his background. I'm not saying that that means that mm. Ronaldo doesn't want to leave Manchester United. I'm saying mate, there's clearly, clearly intention on that side to leave Manchester United because that would have been squashed a long time ago if there wasn't. But what I'm saying is I think some of what's been rep- reported has been massively exaggerated in order to push for interest from elsewhere, which has not come, which that most importantly has not come so I think we're in that situation with Ronaldo that he will be staying at Manchester United because the offer in which he would like to receive to stay in the Champions League is not there um, Sean before we wrap it up this conversation before United take on Liverpool I want to quickly get to the latest news which has popped up since we started recording it comes mm-hmm. from Alex Cook from the Telegraph and I believe it's been backed up by a number of different outlets um, it refers to the conversations that were held in Barcelona earlier on today. So we've seen pictures pop up online across social media, um, various p- platforms of John Murto and Richard Arnold arriving in Barcelona. And it was believed that they were there to speak with Barcelona. And as you can imagine, these reports confirmed that that was the case. So Alex Cook says, conversations between John Murto and Richard Arnold and Barcelona were believed to have centred around the 70 million Frankie Diong is owed in unpaid wages. The United player is op- or the, sorry, the player is open to a move to United. He also stresses that Manchester United want the deal done by Friday. They've told Barcelona. And there's one more line. There's one more line there. A fee of 56 million pounds plus add-ons has been verbally agreed between the two clubs. The biggest line. Did I, did I say that again, Sean? The fee of £56 million plus add-ons has been verbally agreed between both clubs. Okay, there you go. So what's your what's your initial reaction then to that? That we, we've verbally agreed a deal with Barcelona, which is in place, 
to sign Frankie de Jong and now it's it's just down to the fact that they owe him 17 million, a massive fee in wages. Well, I suppose the biggest thing for me here is that we might be drawing toward an end of having read about Frankie de Jong. That's just the, that's the, <laughs> the cherry on the icing on the cake. I mean, if we can just get that over and done with and move on to something else as a football club, that would be fantastic. But look, if we can, if, if, if it's true, if this is legitimate, like, Obviously, he's a credible guy, is Alex, and he he seems pretty confident in what he's saying. It's not about speculation. He's pretty much nailing his his name to the mast on this. This is a tremendous signing for the club. This is exactly what we need. And like I said at the very start of this conversation, if this is indeed sorted and if they do want to conclude it by Friday, I suspect you will then see the domino effect come thereafter. I think he would be the first of another three or well, four should, players. Well, I should that expect will be so. I should expect so because, like, we have. A deal pretty much in place for Christian Eriksen. Um, mm-hmm. Christian Eriksen, according to my sources last week, was at Carrington um, and has begun medical proceedings, which I, I believe will take a little bit longer than your usual medicals because extra procedure in place over with a player who suffered a cardiac arrest l- less than 12 months ago. You know, so they have to they have to double check everything. But that that's another one that I fully expect will be done. Maybe part of that domino effect that you're referring to. Um, Lisandro Martinez, we're getting new reports on that pretty much every single day of bids going in for Manchester United and bids going in for Arsenal. Um, I would be very surprised, Sean, if he didn't end up at Manchester United because with that kind of connection with, that he has with Eric Ten Hag, who clearly wants to bring him to Old Trafford, um, that surely has something to say when you're going up against Arsenal who have Mikel Arteta. Um, as their manager you know he's been in charge for over three years now they haven't experienced Champions League football with him why the fuck would you go there definitely 100% and it's funny now actually as we're talking since since we've been on here speaking a lot is after happening because okay. bring us more bring us more there's 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 more news after breaking in Holland from our man Mike Verway saying that Ajax are indeed now going to speak to Manchester United about Lissandra Martinez and the club is looking for between 55 to 60 million euros. There we go again. So I know so. that there was reports earlier on that the, that they were looking for 60 million pounds, wasn't it? Mm. But now now it's between 55 to 60 million euros. So I think this is really just highlighting what I'm saying. I think this is a domino sort of effect because it it look there's only so much talking you can do, and and ultimately, as 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 sick to to death as it makes you and every fan just reading the same things over and over again. I know these guys get the luxury of travelling on luxury jets over to Barcelona and Holland. All they want to talk about this sort of stuff, but they must be sick to God of talking about it as well. You know, they they have to be. I'd imagine the figures of Manchester United are absolutely sick to the teeth of dealing yeah. with Barcelona um, because their their behaviour throughout the saga with Frankie De Jong is has been pretty appalling. Um, as someone who kind of sits back and watches how the media works and how things are portrayed and how things get leaked and the narrative that comes from certain parties. And Barcelona, it's, it's, I've said it before, it's quite clear that they've, they've always wanted to control the narrative. They're extremely political in mm-hmm. doing so. And this has changed so many times with, with De Jong over the past few weeks, what they've been coming out with. There was even periods where all the Spanish radio stations were, were talking about how selling De Jong is not a financial situation. It's very much down to him as a player and that we're feeding the fans this kind of bullshit. Um, 
you know they come out with anything sean literally anything even stuff that you can, yeah you can you don't have you don't believe but the the ultra barcelona fans out there they they'll i'm sure they'll buy it um but but even juan laporta coming out with two interviews in the space of a week kind of showing his his personal determination to keep the young at the club while united arrange a meeting a day later with probably including laporta who's trying to sell the young to raise funds for the club you know and he also came out with a kind of a backhanded gesture to the young when he said he wanted him to stay because he pointed out that we'd like the young to stay but he'd have to take a reduced salary like please stay but fuck you <laughs> i think i think leo veralker could have a good friend over and yeah leo there, you know, silver spoon the, yeah. the amount of, <laughs> the amount of nonsense but, but, but look even look at the the credible individuals and the credible journalists that work with barcelona look at romero how many weeks ago is it since he said the deal with Frankie De Jong was 95% done? Well, look, look, the thing is, like, too, you have to understand, and thank you so much for bringing up Romero as an, as an example, right? Because I don't mean this in any in any kind of dig at Romero or people like him. It, it, it's the career they're building. Um, if you look mm. on social media, what a lot of these journalists across Europe are doing is kind of streaming their their work across twitch and it could be like romero for instance will be sat on twitch for two to three hours you'll see his mic come in and out and he'd be on his phone he'd be making phone calls to agents and getting updates and presenting it right it's a really good platform for fans that are hungry for transfer news i've nothing against it not my cup of tea but that kind of reporting sean is basically trying to get a little snippet a little tiny update the extra little comment from that agent and then feeding it across and you're building that story he doesn't care about the fact that he said something four weeks ago if the story is still tagging along because he's making more out of that story as time goes on i have nothing against what romero is doing don't know romero credit to him he's doing really good at what he's doing but it's um i wouldn't be rushing to his twitter feed after this podcast to see the latest on the young there's 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 certain i'm going to use another example of someone who's the complete opposite um Someone clearly that gets gets valuable information is Andy David Mitten. Ornstein. David Ornstein. But, but the thing about Andy Mitten too is when it comes to transfer news, Andy will only speak when something is set in stone, right? It's yeah. not because he doesn't hear the snippets of stuff that are happening in previous talks. He hears all that, every single mm-hmm. thing. But he has seen down the years with transfer stories that you can easily put your name to a story and things can change. Like Frankie de Jong, for instance, two weeks ago, I would have put my hat on it that, yeah, he's coming to Manchester United. But in the past two weeks, has there been moments where I'm like, ooh, this is dragging on a little bit. I probably shouldn't have said that. You know, absolutely. So there's that risk factor. And I, and I think some journalists that don't come out every two days with updates, they deserve their fair dues for coming out when it actually fucking matters, when it is set in stone. When they say something, you can believe that it's actually this is going to happen. I think ultimately there's there's two different sides of the the transfer journalist spectrum. You have guys like Ornstein that will come out when they know something is categorically going to happen, and it's quality over quantity. Mm. And then you have the other spectrum is just all about quantity, and it's that old spectrum. If you fire enough of shit against the wall, some of it is going to stick. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably the best analogy that you're going to get with it. And ultimately, if you continue to do it, eventually you're going to get something right. You know, 
and and if you continue to do it more and more and more in your spectrum and your platform on a daily basis is just covering every single continental league and covering every single continental club, you're eventually going to get stuff right. And it's much easier to highlight the stuff that you've got right, that rather than stuff you've got wrong. Because ultimately, when this Frankie de Jong deal is completed, because I've said now for a while, I cannot fathom a world that our officials are going and spending this long talking to Barcelona about a player unless it was actually going to happen. It makes no sense. So when it actually is completed and he becomes a Manchester United player, Romero will tag the, orig- the original post that said the deal was 95% done. He'll say, yeah, I told you so. You know, and, and, and that's what you're going to have. Like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's predictable. Um, Sean, thanks so much for joining me again this week Pleasure. on the podcast. Brian, send on his apologies for not making it this week. He's, um, he's either caught in a pub or watching Love Island, um, to be confirmed. Um, but he's going to thank you for that one. Yes, um, Sean, how can people follow you on Twitter? They can follow me on Twitter with the hashtag at SeanConnolly85. You can follow me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale, and of course, the Strettycast at Strettycast. The blog can be found on Twitter at Stretty News, and of course, StrettyNews.com for all the latest Manchester United news and opinion. Um, we're running back the, the newsletter again for the new season. So I'll be sending links for that out on social media and with this new podcast. But you can subscribe at www.stretty.substack.com forward slash welcome. Thanks for listening to the Strettycast. And we'll hear from you again during the week after United take on Liverpool. Sports Social Podcast Network.